A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey guys, this is Aswin Subsang, but please call me Swin, and welcome to the Daily Beast's Fever Dreams. Hi, I'm Will Summer, a politics reporter at the Daily Beast, where I dig into all the darkest recesses of American extremism and extremely online militants. I'm currently working on a book about QAnon and its disastrous impact on our society. I'm also a senior political reporter at the Beast and co-author of the book Sinking in the Swamp. I've spent years covering the intersection of entertainment and politics, and in the post-Trump era, that seems like the only sensible way to cover politics in this beautiful, hideously stupid country of ours. On this podcast, we're going to take you on deeply reported plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and how they vote. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, the grifters, and the influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. We're here to help you better understand how and why this is happening. And who in the halls of power are letting it happen? Along the way, we'll regularly bring on guests, including political pros, hard-nosed reporters, and some influential voices from Hollywood. All right. It's getting hotter. The summer is here. What are your summer plans? Just waiting for Donald Trump to be president again come August 23rd. I'm going to put down the marker now. I'm going to estimate August 23rd. That does seem to be the move is putting it sort of later in the month. Because, right, if you do August 1st, then you might run out of time. But if you sort of do it like August 25th, whatever, it might happen. You need at least three weeks to like soften the blow if it turns out, oh, shit, Joe Biden is still president and it is September 2nd already. (laughs) So, yeah, so what we're referring to is especially last weekend and, and sort of going forward, we're in the height of does Trump think he's going to be return to office in August season. You've been doing some reporting on on this idea that how this idea that Trump would come back to the White House in August, how this got into Trump's brain, how his circle is reacting to this. I mean, what kind of stuff are you seeing? The most darkly humorous thing about this is it's not based on him huddling with his MAGA-brained attorneys or any seasoned constitutional scholars. I mean, I know that probably doesn't surprise many people listening to this, but this was all born out of the mind of Mike Lindell, who listeners surely recognize as the MyPillow CEO and who is a Trump pal and informal advisor on certain respects, especially when it comes to trying to overturn the 2020 election. And this is something that Lindell, we interviewed him at some point last week, and he was very blunt about this. He was saying that he, weeks ago, he started using the word August, saying, oh, there's a good chance. There is no chance. But in his mind, there is a good chance Donald Trump is going to be back in the White House and Joe Biden's going to be thrown out when all the fraud evidence comes out come the end of August. Now, if you're wondering if there was any mathematical calculation to reach this particular month of this particular year, the answer is no. He told us that August is subjective and that he was just throwing that out because it is aspirational and he is hoping that his team will be able to get something before the Supreme Court earlier this summer. And so he sort of guesstimated August. There was no real, like, legal theory that imposes that kind of months-long deadline. This was just something he essentially pulled out of a hat. Because I thought maybe there was going to be a big, like, Supreme Court thing or something that this was all tied to. But no, it's just he's like... I don't know. It'll take it'll take a couple months. Right, exactly. Or even something in the Illuminati, like something. Some numerology, something like that, some Kabbalah. <laughs> you could be doing anything like that, but it's none of that. I mean, I got to say, I mean, the idea, it was pretty disturbing when the president, when the, the guy running the show was getting advice from like, you know, these shady characters and the MyPillow founder and stuff. But I feel for a sort of like pretender to the throne as, as Trump is now, it is like very appropriate for his his court to be made up of these kind of hucksters. And there's where they're whispering all these ideas in his ear. I feel like one of the latest ones is we've seen that Trump crony Wayne Allen Root is now proposing that Trump run for another sort of office. So I've seen some 
ideas that maybe he should be made Speaker of the House. I mean, yeah, so what do you see in there? I remember him cropping up during the Obama era as just this nutty right-wing radio guy. I know that's like a dime a dozen. Yeah, Wayne, Wayne Allen Root is, if people have seen the classic movie Casino, Wayne Allen Root is sort of like the Robert De Niro character, except without the organized crime connections, but just as sort of a Las Vegas blowhard. Like, if Ace Rothstein only had his TV show in Casino and was just like, here's my thoughts on Vegas, baby. So that's Wayne Allen Root. Right, right. Like, he, he's that, minus any of the hints of, like, general competence or kind of steely charm. But I highly recommend our listeners, like, watching even 15 seconds of him because he is one of those, like there are a lot of these right-wing talkers who really glommed onto Trump and existed long before Trumpism came along. But a lot of them kind of have a polite pseudo finesse to them. This guy is really like the uncut heroin version of that sort of right-wing talk radio stuff. So late last week, if I'm recalling correctly, he hosted Donald Trump via telephone interview on his show. And there was this moment, and I think, I, I think we have the clip right here. Why not, instead of just waiting for 2024, and I'm hoping you run in 2024, but why uh, not, why not run in 2022 for the United States Congress, a House seat in Florida, win big, lead us to a dramatic landslide victory, take in the House by 50 seats, and then you become the Speaker of the House, lead the impeachment of Biden, and start criminal investigations against Biden. You'll wipe him out for his last two that's years, so, and then so you'll be president. Do it. You know, it's very interesting. You'll be a folk hero. You'll be a folk hero. And people have said, people have said, run for the Senate. Okay, run for the Senate. But you know what? Your idea might be better. It's very interesting. So the reason I want to play that for our listeners is because it is a perfect distillation of what happens both publicly and behind the scenes, including when Donald Trump was in the White House, of how he would get some of these nutty, batshit ideas in his head. Someone would just say it to him. And whether he fully glommed onto it yet or not, or just started playing footsie with it, as you heard in that clip, he would just say, that is very interesting. That is very interesting. We'll look into it. I know a lot of people are saying stuff like that. And at the very least, it gives the impression that he thinks this is a reliable source pitching him a worthwhile idea, even if he doesn't end up running for it or literally running for a Capitol Hill position or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of the, the classic. This is like a real like, wouldn't it be epic if we made Newt Gingrich the Speaker of the House again or something like fan, this is like fantasy baseball, right? But but certainly, I mean, there is sort of one tragedy here, at least for some characters on the right, which is if Trump did run for office, he would presumably be running for the House seat held by that surrounds Mar-a-Lago, which means he would then box out Laura Loomer, anti-Muslim activist and sort of and notorious heckler whose whole shtick these days is running for the Mar-a-Lago seat. So there could be some downhill effects there. But I do love this idea of Trump kind of, they're just like, why don't you run for a uh, mayor? We all know he wants to be the president, right? I mean, you get the plane, you get everything like that. So I don't know if he's built for the world's greatest uh, deliberative body. Right, like he does not want to be the West Palm Beach comptroller, something like that. But they keep pitching it. It's like, oh, why don't you do these other things? Because we all love you and know how much you love Americans and love your country and want to serve your country. It's like, motherfucker, the only thing he wants is to like inflate his own ego. And he's not going to get that if he goes from literally the most powerful position on the face of the planet to, I don't know, like deputy state secretary of Florida. I mean, these are these kind of like, wouldn't it be epic if Trump, Senator Trump, cast the vote to impeach Joe Biden? These are the kind of things you get. But but obviously, uh, that's not going to happen. But how viable is the, in Trump world at least, this idea that he's going to return to office? I mean, are people buying this? Is he buying this? What's going on? Donald Trump is at the very least, he's been entertaining it for weeks and been going around telling people about it, saying that, quote unquote, highly respected individuals have been getting this in his ear and say it could be possible. The Mike Lindells, the Sidney Powells and the Mike Flynn's of the Trumpian universe have certainly latched on to this. And as you can attest to with all of your reporting on the MAGA and GOP grassroots, that is not worth nothing. In fact, that can be worth something at times to the tunes of potentially millions of followers. But at the same time, there is a large contingent in the Trump universe who are still very close to Donald Trump or speak to him regularly, who at the very, very least have been privately begging him 
not to bring this up publicly because they think it is many bridges too far. They think it will make him look like an idiot or a pathetic, delusional old man. And first and foremost, they don't want Donald Trump's enemies to use this against him. There was a story that I was reporting last week where there was one individual asked, who I was talking to, who still is in pretty regular contact with Donald Trump, who after it first came out that Donald Trump was privately entertaining this, this was first reviewed in a tweet posted by New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman, this person approached Donald Trump expecting the former president to knock down the reporting as fake news or bullshit or something like that, and was sort of aghast when they discovered that their brief conversation with the former president was very clearly him not knocking down the story. And very conspicuously, his office has yet to put out a statement denying this reporting that has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Daily Beast, and elsewhere. And Donald Trump in his office, after he's been done being president has obviously not at all been shy about putting out those statements, which are obviously written a lot like tweets, challenging the veracity of certain stories that make him mad. So whether or not this is something Donald Trump goes all in on publicly has remains to be seen. He might be self-aware enough about it to know that he shouldn't go all in on this just yet. But as to whether or not this has manifested itself as a symptom in Trump's own mind and in parts of his sort of inner social circle as a facet of their anti-democratic crusades and delusions, yes, it is a very real symptom of that. For any of our listeners who have taken a peek at Fox News or other major organs of right-wing media in this country for the past week or so, they have probably noticed that Fauci email Mageddon is maybe the biggest thing consuming them over the past, I don't know, four or five days or so. Will, can you get into this a little bit and break down for our listeners exactly what this means and where they're going with this? Is there a smoking gun that the rest of us in the lamestream media have overlooked for the past Oh, year and a half. Yeah, so this is kind of like a, a classic function of both Fever Dreams and, and our work here at the Daily Beast, which is sort of like when there's something going on in the right-wing media, and you're like, gosh, they really seem to believe in this stuff. There's got to be something going on there. I'm almost scared to look. How bad could it be? One example I think of here is when they were like, Ilhan Omar married her brother. Everyone knows this. It's settled fact. Everyone, like, if you don't believe this, you're an idiot. And I looked into it, and it was totally nonsense, right? So in this case, I think we can bring the same attitude to bear. What was that again? It was based on like someone posted something online anonymously and suddenly people were like, oh, this is as good as a leaked IRS document or something like that. It was that. literally an anonymous, like, it was like an easy boards thing and someone was like, you know, Ilan Omar married her brother and then it kind of just went through like 40 permutations. But anyways, in, in terms of this, this Fauci stuff, so if you look on Fox News or let's say The Federalist or something like that, it looks like Anthony Fauci is like disgraced, like, you know, he's going to be escorted out of the, you know, the Health Institute by the U.S. Marshals, like, it's all come out, right? And this is kind of like the world we're living in where every reporter you got to get lab leak is real, like tattooed on your neck or, you know, people go after you, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> so in this case, though, if you actually look at these emails, and, and this is sort of, I would say that th this is not so much about these emails in particular as it is the phenomenon of the email tranches phenomenon and the way this is used by the right-wing media. So we've seen this with, in this case, Anthony Fauci's emails came out last week or or so, and a lot, a big haul blues being made about them. And, you know, you may remember this is kind of an echo of when Hillary Clinton's emails would come out or more recently FBI emails about the investigation into Trump's campaign, like text messages between Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. And what it ends up being is like sort of an exercise to be like kind of not a lot to go on if you're trying to make a scandal. And so what can we do? And so in this case with Fauci, What's ended up happening is people are like, Fauci knew the virus was cooked up in a lab, or Fauci knew hydroxychloroquine worked, or he knew that social distancing was bogus, right? But when you read the emails, it's like some random guy at the height of the pandemic, like March 15th, or right when it was starting, emails Fauci and he goes, hey, what if we didn't do social distancing? And Fauci goes, okay, thanks. <laughs> and then people are like, see, Fauci knew. Fauci knew. Or someone says, they're like, hey, Fauci, I don't know, maybe this was in a lab? And he goes, 
will consider. In that, it's like a random guy's email, and then they're like, see, Fauci, this is a cover-up. Fauci knew all along. Right, and let's back up for a second. A lot of this is based not on these right-wing sites that we're talking about doing their own sort of shoe-leather reporting or investigative digging here. If I recall correctly, this latest Fauci email dump was the result of a Freedom of Information Act request submitted by BuzzFeed News and the Washington Post. And that's how they got this large tranche of what is the public's right to know, because these are official documents and internal emails of Anthony Fauci interacting with other government officials during the pandemic and the height of the pandemic, and also just outsiders, other scientists, strangers, journalists, things like that. I actually think, I mean, obviously I do, that whenever big tranches of that come out of any public figure or major government official, that is a good thing. I'm glad these things were out there and that people could review them for the good, the bad, and the ugly, or whatever. That's what was originally put out by places like BuzzFeed, which I saw as like, oh, that may not be the most groundbreaking thing ever, but that's a public service. And I found a lot of the messages interesting and illuminating about some of the government's response when coronavirus was just completely ravaging the country. However, as you point out, Will, the way that a lot of these different messages have just been completely spun into their own sort of contra-narrative by other elements in right-wing politics and media in this country is its own little fascinating window into how these things work when it's time to start the two minutes hate against someone else in order to distract against like the outrages of Donald Trump or whoever else. And I've never been one of these guys who idolizes Fauci or is a, a Fauci hate geographer or thinks he's beyond reproach. Basically, this is a just kind of the concept of like a tranche of emails has been revealed is sort of its own story that goes off on its own. And there's not a ton of like introspection about like what it all means. And so right now that the email thing has set up this kind of drumbeat on the right that's like Fauci is about to be imprisoned in Guantanamo Bay, all this stuff like it's over for Fauci, totally discredited. And so as a result, there's kind of been this emergence of, of what is sort of a pet phenomenon of mine on the right that I that is fascinating is when people who obviously don't have sources in a Democratic administration. Oh, I are love like this. my man deep inside the White House is dropping truth. I mean, kind of the the classic here is former One American News personality, Jack Posobiec, who would be like, my people inside the Biden White House say Biden's losing it. It's like, who are these people who are like, I my first call, Jack Posobiec. Jack, I'm on the line. I got to drop the truth about Pizzagate. But anyway, so in this case, we have Madison Cawthorn, right, who's not even a, ostensibly a reporter in the way Jack Posobiec is, a member of Congress. He goes on Newsmax with Greg Kelly, a favorite of ours. And he's like, look, I have a guy inside the White House, and he says, I know an insider in the White House, so we can play the clip. But basically, he's saying, he's like, I have a man inside the White House who says it is over for Fauci. And it's like, who in the White House would be telling Madison Cawthorn this? Like, you know, it's just clearly fake. There is obviously a less than 0% chance that that even happened. And Mass is just going on the air saying, oh, yeah, I talk to my super secret source in the Biden White House every day. Wink, Jake Sullivan, wink, wink. And he's telling me that Anthony Fauci is going to get renditioned to Saudi Arabia, like, at least within the next, like, seven days. It's so on its face stupid. But you tell me if I'm wrong here that this did end up having some degree of purchase in right-wing media. Like, this didn't immediately fall flat. So this thing is already so thinly sourced, right, when it appears on Newsmax, then it starts getting packaged as sources, Fauci on the way out, like on the Gateway Pundit and all these other sites. And then when you look, I was like, wow, how, how the hell does the Gateway Pundit know that? And you click and it's like our ace gumshoe, Madison Cawthorn, is out on the beat. And so this whole email thing is really just a the kind of the trope of the email dump and the way that gets played out in the right wing media to drum up the sense that someone is embattled really when, when it isn't actually the case. But it, it creates this very nebulous sense of scandal that, that I think for the average well-meaning person is is too hazy to, to imagine penetrating. So I, I think people often end up getting smeared with it no matter what the truth is. Fever Dreams, like all Daily Beast journalism, exists because of the generous support of Beast Inside members, the people who pay to access Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet. Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, plus access to members-only podcast episodes, events, and much more. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com today to see what you've been missing. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. 
Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Okay. If you're a talk radio host, our next guest, Vancouver comedian Chris James, is the last guy you want calling in on Open Line Friday. On his YouTube show, which is called Not Even a Show, Chris and his band of pranksters have turned prank-calling conservative talk radio hosts into comedy, carrying on a running feud with Seb Gorka and reminding Rudy Giuliani over and over that he married his cousin. Now, American talk radio is in flux after the death of Rush Limbaugh, and Chris's show is moving to Means TV, a progressive internet streaming site. So we thought it'd be a great time to have him on. All right, Chris, thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I appreciate you agreeing to have me on after I sent a number of private messages, basically threatening that I could easily find your cell phone numbers and I could do my own podcast unless you have me on. So thank you for having <laughs> me. So Chris, how would you describe what not even a show is to a new listener. The tagline I use now for Means TV is pranking the people you hate. So I I guess that's not good for everyone. Maybe everyone doesn't hate the people I prank. But if you're progressive and your politics are progressive and get frustrated listening to the nonstop flow of misinformation and nonsense coming out of the right, then yeah, it's basically a show where I I call and disrupt those people's shows with my group of pranksters uh, as a character or as myself. And it's a prank calling channel. It's a video prank calling channel where I, yeah, I call them and then edit the video clips afterwards. Like you said, Seb Gorka, Rudy Giuliani, we have a few people that we hit on regularly. And then also I have a lot of elected officials' cell phone numbers and stuff as well. So we call non-radio hosts also. So this is sort of such a unique form of comedy. I mean, how did you get into this? Well, I'm a stand-up comedian. That's what out here in Canada, I do stand-up comedy. And it's not like a really good job to have. (laughs) It's like, it's actually like one of the worst jobs you could have to be a stand-up comedian in Canada, because you can't really, it's really hard to make a living. It's really frustrating. And um, you basically have to move to America if you want to make a living. And I, at some point, decided in my career that I didn't want to move to America. And I started thinking, what can I do myself? And I just decided to do a weekly comedy program. I never even thought of doing prank phone calls. I just wanted to get footage to edit um, and just do basically some type of comedy every week. And then I came across Kurt Schilling doing his Breitbart show, which is long since canceled for because it was so bad. And I started calling him and then it branched off from there. And I started realizing that, hey, there's a lot of these people out here, the comedy surrounding it, to me is not that great. I think it's better to just allow them to sort of showcase how ridiculous they are. And so that's kind of what my thought process was. Can you give us an example of a running gag that you're particularly proud of? You were mentioning characters that you employ to do this. So you're not always calling in as yourself. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about like any specific jobs you've executed recently. Yeah, I mean, the characters come from the fact that I want to have content. And with a character, you can call in and you can have a conversation with someone. It also allows me to call hosts that aren't so bad that I just want to do. Like I have Techhead Terry is one of my characters who's just obsessed with technology and he only ever wants to talk about technology and he won't ever get to the topic. (laughs) Butch is another character who's just he's meant to be one rung lower than their stupidest listener, basically. But it's meant to sort of mirror their listeners back to them. Like, hey, this is the listenership that you've cultivated with your awful regurgitated views or whatever. These are the people who are listening. And so it sort of challenges them to like, how are they going to deal with the person who's so stupid that they can't really fully follow it? I have a police officer character, Officer Steve, that I call in and I pretend to be a police officer. And I call these shows that are very pro-police. And then I challenge them with with the angry cop, the guy who we've, you know, probably all dealt with, person who's really overbearing and really power hungry. And so I start a basic argument with them as a police officer. And that one is really fun. It's really fun to see the turn from the host when they're so happy to be talking to a police officer versus when they realize that this police officer is going to start yelling at them about something. I get such a kick out of this Officer Steve character because as someone who consumes just tons of talk radio myself, it's always funny when the the host gets kind of like outflanked from 
from the right. And so they're talking about, oh, you have to show deference to cops all the time. And then you end up calling in and just being like, just berating these guys and being like, you have to show respect to me. I'm a police officer. And they go, well, I am showing respect to you and all this kind of stuff. But it's never good enough. And I have a, and I have a new character that is on that same level. It's Patriot Pete, who is more <laughs> of a patriot than any of them and challenges them on their patriotism. And one of his big things is he lives in Washington, D.C., and he thinks anyone who doesn't is not a patriot because that is the nation's capital. And if you're a patriot, why wouldn't you live there? He won't use the internet. He challenges the host to show me your tag. Show me where that shirt was manufactured if you're really America first. And that is like outflanking them from the right. Like you said, it's like when you challenge them from the other side, it's really, really fun to see what their reaction is. I mean, yeah, I, I have Ken Spiracy as a conspiracy theorist. I've started calling a lot of the QAnon shows. And so I needed to sort of create a character to try to like deal with these QAnon people. And this week, for example, I called a really heavy duty QAnon show and I started talking about the 69-420 connection. And they took it seriously. Like I said, you know, four plus two equals six, minus zero is six, six upside down is nine. That's the 42669 connection. And the guy was genuinely trying to figure out what that meant. And then the, the thing that upset him the most is when I said, hey, man, I might be dealing with sort of ideas that are a bit too high level for you. <laughs> And he lost it on me. He said, no, no, no. Hang on a second. Not a chance. I'm you're not going quicker than I am. I'm and meanwhile, his get the guests on just like flabbergasted as to what's even happening. But yeah, I found that to be really fun where you sort of challenge them with more extreme views than they have. And I think in my idea is you're going to highlight how absurd it all is. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. The, the QAnon stuff is, I will say it, it, it genuinely terrifying to me as someone who watches all this stuff and Ah, oh, man, it's it's gaining traction and it's awful. Uh, anyway, if one of your prank targets were to ask you what D.C. area neighborhood does your Patriot Pete live in? Well, I wouldn't know right now off the top of my head, but on the call, I would. I I, I utilize that all the time where I, I look at the particular area. I have a call spoofer so I can spoof my number to whatever area code. And then I look on Google and I look up neighborhoods. It's a really good way to get past a call screener is you don't say that I'm calling from this city. You say I'm calling from one of the local neighborhoods or like, you know, something that's just outside of the city. So I would have that information with me on the call. Hall, but I can't keep it all in my head, unfortunately. Let me save you some time. You live at the wharf. Just tell them Patriot okay. Pete lives the at the wharf. Classic. <laughs> okay, sounds good. I mean, these characters, I think what really is, is so great about them is often you, in a way, sort of like take control of the show and the host is almost trying to kiss up to you. Like, you know, with this Officer Steve character, he comes on so aggressive and then suddenly he's ordering the host around. You're saying, like, keep your hands where I can see them on the camera. Like, that makes me nervous as an officer. And they're like, well, I'm not going to do that. The idea that there was one where he's being so aggressive and then you drop that you're a police officer and he says, oh, well, thank you for your service. My father was a prison warden, so I know what that's like. And then you say, well, to be clear, prison wardens are not cops. <laughs> Nothing is ever good enough. That, and when I'm doing that character, the key is I will disagree with every single thing that the host says, no matter what. And so I will find something to pick out to have an argument with. I, and, and it really genuinely comes from like, I'm a white dude living in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And I'll say even my experience with the police has been extremely negative. And so like the character comes from genuine experiences I have with uh, have had with the police. One of them specifically, honestly, is I was arrested and, and detained and handcuffed on the side of the road on a major busy street in Vancouver for buying weed from a dispensary when it was still in kind of limbo and this cop made a real it was really I'd never experienced somebody just lording their power over me in such an aggressive way so I pull from that interaction all the time when I'm doing the character. Great. So Chris, obviously you have to be a real observer of the talk radio landscape to pull this off. I mean, obviously Rush Limbaugh has is gone now and so there's this kind of big hole opening up. I mean, where do you think American talk radio is headed now? I mean, it's interesting and I did one of my greatest things is I did get to prank Rush Limbaugh before he died. That was one of my proudest. Yeah, tell us about that one. Well, I just it's one of my things where I call and I say that you won an award from this magazine for the best whatever. I've, I I did it to Gorka as well. but And then he said, oh, what's the magazine that I want? And I said, I was bloated red blowhard magazine. <laughs> and he just 
I'll say that he he rolls. Obviously, he's a pro. So he's just like, oh, bloated Red Bull. I've never even heard of that publication. So he like he doesn't give you the reaction. Him and like Sean Hannity and people like that who are like awful human beings, but also they were good at broadcasting and very, um, you know, competent. They knew to not like give in to it. I would say as far as where it's going. I mean, the truth of it is, I don't think anyone is necessarily going to... It's very different than it was, obviously, like everything else is, that it, it was Rush Limbaugh was the guy before. That doesn't exist. It doesn't exist in media, period, anymore. You know, you don't have your one television show that you talk about around the water cooler. I think it's... The route it's going is just everybody having their own show. Like, it's just so many people, whether they're ex- political people. That's the big thing. And your Gorkas, your, you know, all these people getting into it or just people doing it at home and starting these QAnon shows. Like, I hate to bring it back to that, but the QAnon show that I'm calling, they had they had a thousand people watching live. That's a lot more than some of these big radio shows have watching their live streams. So I don't know the the DIY thing and just cultivating your own audience seems to be massively prevalent now in conservative media and radio. As you've been um, doing this, sometimes it's gotten pretty intensely personal. Can you run down a few examples for our audience what it's like when that happens? Obviously, it happened with Seb Gorka's call screener when they called into your show. I think that's kind of a prime example here, but it's certainly not the only one, right? I think I do have a running feud with quite a few people at this point. Like <laughs> Gorka will engage you. That's the thing about him. He's so incredibly insecure that he'll engage you like nobody else will. And so what happened happened was I like I called them I, I used one of my favorite pranks is when I call and I say I love you but one of my family members dislikes you and here's the things <laughs> that they say and then you're just basically on their radio show insulting them with extremely personal insults on their live radio show and then they sort of clue into like oh wait a second this is not the sister this is what you think of me so I did that to him that's where I called him like a big-headed bootlicker and like all this I got a, a uh liberal sister who's she gives me a hard time about being such a fan she says you're a she calls you a big-headed bootlicker and all sorts of nasty stuff is like she that. is she older or younger she says oh he's got nice three-piece suits but you can put a three-piece suit on a piece of dog crap it's still a piece of dog crap and he's actually one of the ugliest and biggest losers on the entire How uh, radio. and i find it very strange that nobody's asking a certain question about all this what's the uh, question so, well, do you have to buy special shirts to fit your head through your neck hole? So Gorka, we call them about the size of his head. That's a, that's a big thing that I like to do is that I, and for better or for worse, some people hate it, some people like it, but I key in on one specific thing. That, that is kind of the way that I do my pranks. And I like it because it means as soon as we mention that thing, then he knows it's us. And then it's boom, we've gotten him again. And it's so JJ McCartney is a small time radio host that we used to call and say the word shirt. And that's sort of you can see a big cut of us doing it. But it's that same sort of idea. As soon as that word shirt is mentioned, he knows it's us. So we would call about the big head over and over again. Finally, he discovered it. I think the Media Matters people posted a clip of it and he saw it and he figured out about the channel. So at that point, he started sending me the most unhinged DMs on Twitter that you could ever imagine, like telling me that like I'm going to make you cry live on the air and like... Can can you read any of them? I'll try to pull it up right now. Uh, the problem is I get a lot of Twitter. I have open DMs and people send me information all the time. Hang on, let me just search for Gorka and see if it comes up. Yeah, I don't think that it's gonna... But I couldn't... Basically, I'll, I'll keep scrolling as I say this to see if I find it because it's definitely is still here. What His big move that he does too is that he blocks you and then he unblocks you and then just to say something and then he reblocks you so that you're unable to even respond to it. Here we go. I've got him. I've got him here. Okay, you guys ready? <laughs> okay. So if you threaten to release PPI, there will be likely be legal consequences. That was his first. I don't I'm not sure. Oh, so you you're going to have your big boy pants on and call in. If you threaten to release PPI, there will be legal consequences. I said, I don't have any information, so I wouldn't be able to release anything. And he said, you 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 sound unstable. I trust my producer, not you. Do not threaten me, my staff, or my guest. That's not a threat. It's a promise of immediate legal action to the fullest extent of the law if you persist in your current behavior. And then he he replied, I said something about someone dying, and he said, joking about someone's death makes me feel even better about us crushing 
you. And he sent me a D, like a, a screenshot of my own tweet. And then and then he sent me a thing saying like, because I was frustrated about not getting on the air. And I had tweeted about it. And he took a screenshot of that and said, I love this. Please, please be a loser again tomorrow. We record all your and your friends fails. We're making a full montage. Now, I, it's been mentioned before, but I just want to be clear of what this is. Okay, so basically, he changed his show around completely to deal with our prank calls. He started screening the calls himself in the break and pretending <laughs> he was live on the air. So then he would trick us into saying the prank. So basically, what he's referring to releasing is a montage of us doing pranks on him that didn't get on the air. So he's like, if you don't watch out, I'm going to release the footage of you guys pranking me over and over again. <laughs> and then he says, before your mom asks for her phone back, promise me you'll call. Don't disappoint Jeff or my three million listeners. He literally said that to me or my three million listeners. And then he said in parentheses, these are all separate messages, one after another. We're already at 11.5 million views on YouTube. By the way, he's now suspended off YouTube. So please don't stop embarrassing yourself. Promise me you'll call. Eventually, you will cry live on the air. And then he sent me a message the following year because I called his cell phone number and he was not happy about that. And he said, if you use the audio or dox me, corporate will take legal action through our Canadian council. <laughs> That is great. So obviously, when these calls make it through the call screener, that often doesn't reflect great on the screener. And yeah. it seems like like your pranks have sort of specifically gotten to Gorka's call screener. Yeah, he got really upset. And and I would taunt him as well. Like, I'm kind of a, a little bit of a shit like that, you know, that he would say like, oh, he would sort of give a shit. Oh, you didn't get it on the air today or whatever. So I would taunt him like after a prank call got on the air, I'd call him back and I'd be like, you failed again, loser, you know, like you couldn't <laughs> stop us again. And so I sort of did bring it on a bit but eventually he got so mad after one of our pranks that he phoned my call-in show so i do a call-in show on twitch once a week now on monday mornings but it's like called no prank radio and it's the goof being that i do prank calls and i say i know i do prank calls but please don't prank me and everyone pranks me and so that's the whole joke of it but he called in and I didn't realize until he said something that we had discussed on the phone earlier in the day. And then it dawned on me that it was Gorka's call screener literally phoning in to defend the honor of Sebastian Gorka. And I'll tell you, it's one of the most popular clips on my channel. He makes so many mistakes. He doesn't understand how anything works. He just makes an absolute ass of himself. He calls Twitch twitchy. He refers to Twitch as twitchy. I mean, it is just an absolute absolute meltdown. And yeah, I still call him to this day, even when we're not doing pranks, I'll just like maybe today I'll do it actually after I get off of it. When he does his show today, I'll just call the screener and I'll just remind him of the time he called and embarrassed himself on my Twitch show. So Chris, who would you say is the easiest uh, host to prank? I mean, probably Rudy Giuliani, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, like there are hosts who are easier to prank because they don't even have a call screener and they're just a really small show. They're doing it themselves and you can just call and get on. But as far as an actual show, Rudy Giuliani's show is it, remarkable in so many ways. It's on WABC in New York, which is a big network. It's a legitimate big network, but it is so unpopular. We just managed to get like, you shouldn't be able to get through so easily, but we'll get four or five callers through. We, sometimes where every single caller is just us calling and reminding him that he married his, and had sex with his cousin, you know? And so it's like so easy to do that it almost feels like the call screeners do not like Rudy Giuliani and they do not care if a prank caller gets through. <laughs> and and honestly, <laughs> I sort of feel like maybe WABC themselves does not want to have Rudy Giuliani on the air anymore. And they're in a contract that says they have to because I've noticed that I watch it that there's more ads now. The show itself is it's only 35 minutes long of actual airtime. And it's mostly just him taking phone callers. But yeah, it's the worst show. It's the worst radio show show on a real radio network that you'll ever listen to. It's remarkable. Sometimes he loses connection to his own audio. Sometimes you'll hear phones ringing in the background. You'll hear audio interference. You hear him making mouth noises loudly into the phone while people are talking. It is crazy bad. So I feel like something that your work gets at is just how surreal talk radio often can be. I was just listening to a local show here and a guy called in. He was like, yeah, I'm really into Trump. And the host was like, oh, I love that. And then he was like, because I think people are covering up the aliens and they want to put us all on neural nets and they're like oh bye bye there's just like such a weird energy in talk radio i think and one that is often really undercovered by the media yeah it's its own thing 
for sure. And like the way that conservatives utilize it much more effectively than liberals or left wing people do, for sure. It has its own like culture in the sense of like even the shows are like connected. There's all these weird networks that are all connected and the listenership is all similar. And there's this real feeling of like this is our meeting place where we hang out. And I think what you're talking about, it just speaks to how extreme the views are getting just in general, how like that is now a normal thing to call into a radio show and say that stuff about the aliens. And I hear that shit all day long. I hear that stuff all day long, like just washes over me now, like people talking about like genuine crazy stuff out of a sci-fi movie as if it is reality, as if it is like an actual thing. And then it's interesting, at least at least the host you're referring to hung up on the person i mean so many of them i feel like they're like now that's an interesting perspective like that's some shit butch would say you know and then they would be like oh okay yeah that is sort of i mean i had somebody say to me the other day like i think there's something to be said for everyone moving to washington dc you know (laughs) (laughs) so before we get going is there any other specific instance of a public figure who you enthusiastically prank that you would like to recount for our audience that you think would give him a good laugh at the very least? Well, I think that maybe like I have Marjorie Taylor Greene's cell phone number and I have called her as Butch. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene took a phone call from a guy named Butch from a random phone number from a guy named Butch, who's the dumbest guy in the world, who was just saying, I love you so much. I'm your biggest fan, Marjorie. And talked to him, had a conversation with him. And it's remarkable to me. This one I always bring up is that I called Rudy Giuliani on his cell phone when he was Trump's lawyer, when it was in the middle of like, they were trying to overturn the election and he was Trump's lead counsel. I phoned him from just a random phone number. And I just said, Mr. Giuliani, I have information that can, that will help overturn this election. And, and he said, let's hear it. And I just couldn't believe this was the, the lead counsel to the, to the president of the United States trying to overturn elections. What was your lead? Well, oh, well, my lead was that Rudy Giuliani had married and had sex with his cousin. (laughs) 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 Yes. So, yeah. But the fact that he was the fact that he was going that he was going to take a piece of information from a random person phoning him on his cell phone without even asking where I got his number or anything like that was like Dan Crenshaw. Same thing. I've called Dan Crenshaw. These people are like in positions of power and they are acting in this incredibly reckless way. And I think it's genuinely concerning. But I will say the one prank that I really do love is that I called Marjorie Taylor Greene and I said, my group love supports you and we will be with you till the end. And I want to know how we can support you more publicly and show our support and do a better job supporting you. And she said, thank you so much. What is the name of your group? And I said, it's the Ku Klux Klan. And like that one, I think is like a real short sort of and because her reaction to it, she you genu- you hear her go, ugh. Like, you hear her get hit by it. And that's that's good. Like, I got Laura Loomer. It's coming out on this next week's episode about her book that's coming out. And I called her cell phone and got a good one on her. And that's always the best. When you when you can tell there's an audible reaction, you can tell that it hit them in the chest. You know, they felt it. So yeah, that one I love. What happened with Representative Crenshaw? Oh, I mean, I've called him a lot, but same sort of thing where I just called him and said, I have information about the election. I have information about this. Would you like to hear it? And he said, yes. And I will say this. He doesn't just hang up. He's called me back. I have like fake phone numbers. So I call him from an actual, not a spoof number. I call him from my real Florida number. And he called me back and he wanted to have a fist fight with me. (laughs) I mean, he called me and he said, let's meet up. I bet you wouldn't be so tough if we met up. And and then I looked at a picture of him. And I realized he's like five foot five. <laughs> so funny to me that they're all so tough talking. But yeah, he actually wanted to like he is a really, really unstable guy, like calling people back and stuff like he's an elected official and he's phoning numbers back and being like, hey, what, you want to come meet up with me, tough guy? Great. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Folks, if you're looking to follow more of Chris's work, he's at, uh, you can go to means.tv and find not even a show there. Or he's at Twitter at the CJS and on Twitch at No Prank Radio. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you for so much for having me, man. This is, this was really fun. Sometimes the interviews are like, you know, they suck shit. This was fun. <laughs> <laughs> 
And on that note, let's move on to one of our recurring segments known as Fresh Hell, in which Will, Summer, and I introduce our audience to something batshit that is indeed happening in our world today. Will, something we've been tracking recently has to do with the lifestyles of the rich and the gut felt. <laughs> Can you tell our listeners what we mean when we say this? Because I am really into this right now. You flagged this for me very recently, and now I've kind of gone on a rabbit hole dive. So this is some exclusive Fever Dreams reporting. So there's a website called Locals.com, and it's run by right-wing comedian Dave Rubin. And so this is kind of like his Patreon knockoff. This is where you go if you're at risk of being deplatformed and you want to make some bucks. So I I was reporting on this because there were some sort of like election fraud uh, hunters on this. And I noticed that Fox News' own Greg Gutfeld, who is kind of like the loose bad boy of uh, Fox News. He, he's on The Five. He has, of course, his nightly comedy show, which we've talked about here, that he had a place called The Gutter. And this is kind of like, like, let's say, early aughts Manhattans, but on an internet, like a Manhattan bar, like a martini bar, you might meet Greg Gutfeld at when he was the, I think, editor of Maxim or something like that. And The, the Gutter is a place... Oh, yeah, that was his job, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, he, he edited sort of a lad mag before he devoted his life to getting Juan Williams fired from Fox News. <laughs> so the gutter is like a place for like bad boys only. You gotta wear a leather jacket. And here's the description of the gutter. Now this costs $7 a month and there's sort of a, an annual rate as well. But what interested me about the gutter, and this is what it's called, right? This is not a nickname I came up with. So what's interesting about this is that he has north of 100,000 people following this. It's a little hard to figure out how many of them are paying for it, but I would say like conservatively, we could say Greg is set to make at least a million dollars from this, at least hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. So this is like sort of the the behind the scenes of Greg Gutfeld. And so I signed up for it because I thought maybe... How much are you paying a month for this? Seven bucks a month for the rest of my life because it's such good content. Wait, you're actually paying for it? Well, yeah. I mean, how else am I going to get inside the gutter? My God. Here's the description of the gutter. Consider this your local bar, where drinking is encouraged, fans are welcome, and trolls get bounced. Okay, so no trolls allowed in the gutter. And so I signed up for this site, right, where Greg Gutfeld is making money hand over fist. I was curious, what kind of content is going down here? Juicy. Oh, okay, I got to figure out in my head what would make this worth any amount of money to pay. Okay, so there was insidery, juicy Fox News gossip. There is screeds against enemies of the Republic like Nancy Pelosi and woke corporations like Tony the Tiger. And there's exclusive contents like video streaming of Greg Gutfeld doing comedy bits as if he were still a stand-up comedian or something like that. Or even outtakes from his nightly show. Something nice and juicy for the paying audience, right? Do I have this correct? For the most part, no. No, no, it's just stuff Greg Gutfeld has bought with all the money he's making from the website. <laughs> so Greg Gutfeld, and, and I'm not doxing anyone here, he's posted his house all the time, but Greg Gutfeld has a pretty nice house on a lake in the woods. Pretty much all of the member content is just like sick stuff he, he's bought recently. There was like a months-long arc where he was getting his Land Rover detailed. And so they came and picked it up and he was like, oh, my baby's leaving. And then then he was like, he was like, oh, feeling bad without my Land Rover. And then it came back and he was like, ah, nice. <laughs> I cannot stress enough. Like this is nearly the entire content on this, this private site. So like he has a picture. He bought one of those like little green egg or big green egg smokers. And he's like, it's waiting for me, a beautiful space alien that grills meat. And then it just says, this is a premium post. And I was like, oh, great. This is what I'm paying for. It says, this is a premium post. Thanks for your support. (laughs) It's just a photo of a grill. The grill isn't even open. The top is on and it's in the backyard and there is nothing. There is some wood showing you that, okay, you're looking at a house with glass sliding doors and some shrubbery and like a tree or two. That's it. That's it. I wish our listeners were looking at this right now because it's almost artistic with regards to how little of anything and how much of nothing there is in this photo. (laughs) It'll go like days at a time and then it'll be like, okay, crap, I got to do another premium post for this thing I'm making six figures on. And it's like Greg sitting out by his pond drinking wine. We'll get some audio in here, but he's basically like, "Mm, just hanging out. There's my house. There's my grill. 
mm, time for more wine. And he goes like, yum, 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 yum. And that's it. Okay, I'm going to read the caption for this particular gutter post. Warm evening outside. How is this for method acting? This is a premium post. Thanks for your support. This stuff was created by an algorithm, not even an advanced one, like one that you would was created during the early days of AOL Instant Messenger when you're just chatting with a stranger robot. <laughs> This is so fucking lame. It's so funny because like it really is just like it, he's like he gets a new Bluetooth speaker and he's like, thanks for your support so I could buy this speaker. <laughs> and like when I get a kick out here, like and initially I was like, wow, it's kind of crazy that Fox News is letting Greg just like put all this content up somewhere else and make money from it. Like, you know, obviously the Daily Beast would not be thrilled if I just set up a Patreon. It was just saving my best stuff for there. But then it quickly became apparent to me that Fox News is probably not too concerned about missing out on this content. I'm not even going to ask the Daily Beast and our editors for permission. I'm just going to set up one of because anybody can sign for an account on this, right? No, actually, I think you have to be sort of a selected by Dave Rubin as a powerful influencer. Damn it. Okay, I'm going to convince Dave Rubin I'm a powerful influencer. And then after I get people to start paying me $7 a month, all I'm going to do is post photos of like packets of ramen that I've just bought being like, thanks for your support. <laughs> like, ah, living the good life. I mean, it's just so funny. The idea that like the whole idea behind a lot of these fundraising things is you at least don't want to make clear how rich you are and how much you do not need this money in <laughs> any way. And it's just like, ah, I don't know. I bought a grill, I guess. I'm making all this money. I felt like I might as well spend it. In the vast landscapes of pro-Trump, conservative media. I don't think there is a single thing I have ever witnessed in the past half decade that made it clearer to me how much the person loathes and disrespects the audience that is groveling at their feet. I don't think there's another piece of evidence to show that any like pro-Trump or conservative host just absolutely despises their dipshit audience than what you've just shown me. <laughs> I mean, you can really see this in the audio, but just the attitude, okay, uh, what do you hogs want? I guess like a month long arc about my luxury car getting detailed. And then at the end, he's just like, oh, I'm sitting out by the dock. Oh God, I guess I gotta put up. I'm sure Dave Rubin was like, hey Greg, little quiet in the gutter. And he's like, like, okay, uh, yeah, here I'm drinking some wine. Here's my sick house. See ya. I cannot wait for the follow-up gutter video in which all it is is his, him burning like piles of $20 bills while smoking a thick Cuban cigar, asking his audience, what, you don't do this too? On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some awesome reporters and other colleagues at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics, popular culture, and other overfed, underdeveloped institutions. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and share the show on social media or at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Swin is at Swin24. Come say hello. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demiglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.